Lesson 15, Understanding Our Deepest Needs, Part 2, Security. This is one of the most important lessons in the book. <laughs> now, this is one of the most important ones. We say that all the time, just about every lesson I've said. This is the most important lesson in the course. But this one is vitally important. It's important to who we are how we live and move and have our being. So I'll get right into it. We're going to read some of it today, but we'll talk about it too. Security, as the word will be used in this lesson, means the opposite of personally insecure. We will not be considering physical security, such as a roof over our head, a bed to sleep in, and food to eat. We are considering that deep inner need which all pers- which are personal Those things which make us feel like worthwhile human beings, persons. In order to best understand what is really meant here, we may say that all pain, which is not physical pain, is personal pain. Now stop right there and let's just think about it for a minute. A lot of people don't stop to consider that. But you know, everything that happens to us and there are things that happen to us that can bring physical pain. You can get knocked off the top of a truck or drop a big hammer on your toe, and there is physical pain. But what I'm saying in this particular statement is, is that every pain that is not physical pain is personal pain. And I want to bring that down a little bit in that sometimes there is shared pain, yet it's still personal. What I mean by that is that someone close to us, a family member, dies. And everybody that's loved and known this person is suffering maybe the same pain, but yet it's different for every person. Every To every person, it's still personal. It's a personal pain. We've looked at, talked about the fact that God is a person and that God relates to us as persons and that we can turn to God when we have this personal pain and understand that He understands. He knows how we're suffering and He knows how to minister to that personal pain. The word personal is also used in two ways. And both are included in our use of the word in this lesson. Personal pain is that pain which I feel as a person and or the pain I feel because I don't feel like much of a person. It is person-related, personal. It is also personal in the sense that it is my pain. I am likely to use expressions like you don't understand how I feel. This is my pain. It's personal pain. And what about the person that just feels like they're not much of a person? Kind of a horrible, horrible situation to be in. Kind of one one of the worst pains. There's one pain I'll get to after a while, but I think it's maybe a little worse than that. But there are people, and we're surrounded by people, who suffer from this thing that they, they have been so crushed the spirit has been so broken that they don't feel like much of a person anymore. 
just feel like they're occupying space, sucking air. What am I here for? It's all just about pain as far as they're concerned. Do you reckon God calls on us to care about that? know anybody that's in that situation that's where as we as we learn God's word and what God's word is saying to us and how God's word lifts us up to the place where we feel like worthwhile human beings we ought to really 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 care when we know someone in that position uh, therefore in approaching the subject of security we mean that feeling which one has regarding who or she is as a person. Pause there and say, I said this last week, you know, in order to express what we really mean here as person and personal is this thing where I, we have this tendency to want to be able to say to the whole world, here I am. I'm a person. See me, acknowledge me, know that I'm here, I'm occupying this space, I am a person. We all feel that way, don't we? I hope there's nobody that doesn't feel that way. Uh, we are, it is personal. And we come to a place where we realize that God is dealing with us as persons. <clears throat> Another important factor which needs to be stated at this point is that the way I feel depends entirely upon the way I see things. We're going to get into more of that in the next three lessons here. <clears throat> As stated in a previous lesson, neither my circumstances nor the events in my life dictate how I feel. It is the way I view or see those circumstances and events which dictate how I feel about them. And again, that's what makes it personal. I see it different. You see it different. How do you see it? If you see it as devastating to you as a human being, there's a place in there somewhere where you need to be turning to the Lord. One of the one of the whole crux of this course and one of the whole crux of our Bible studies is that that we come to a place where we stop reading just words and thinks that, that God's word is just meant for everybody out there but come to a place where it's personal. God is speaking to us as persons and relating to us that He is a person. If we can come to a place where we can better understand ourselves as a person, we can better understand God because He's a person. And He was relating to us in this personal, personal way. Um, God allows circumstances and incidents which will bring out wrong, attitude, uh, wrong attitudes to our attention. Life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's the way that it is. The way you cope with it is what makes the difference. In the next few lessons, we're going to be talking about some things. We're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about resentment, bitterness, and so forth. And all of these things are, are based on how you see things. One of the reasons for Bible study is to come to a place where you see things differently. 
Let me just go ahead and continue to read there. <clears throat> Most of us go to great lengths to be liked and accepted by other people. To win the acceptance of others, we usually try to be on our best behavior. We try to impress others with our good points. We carefully conceal our weaknesses. We fear that other people will reject us if they find out what we're really like. God knows our need for acceptance, and he has made a way for us to be totally accepted by him. How did he do this? He puts us in Christ. The Bible says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Because we are in Christ, we are totally and forever accepted by God. When God looks at us, he sees Christ. He sees his beloved son, and we are totally accepted in him. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. We've talked about this often, about this thing about being accepted it's a battle for most of us, and especially begins in childhood. It's really magnified through teenage years that we're fighting to be accepted. I want people, and that's back to that person thing again. Here I am. We want to be accepted for who we are. What does God's Word say to us? That ye are accepted in the Beloved, and by whom? By God. Well now, if I'm a teenager and want to be accepted by all of these kids, would it alter my thinking, would it alter my behavior if I realize that the God who created everything, including me and my friends and everybody, if He accepts me, then should I be overly concerned about whether they accept me? It kind of boils down to, to the fact that I don't have to have any feelings of insecurity. I don't have to feel like I'm unloved or unaccepted because God loves me and accepts me. It changes look at it. It changes the way you see things. And the way we see things is what dictates how we feel. So if I can begin to see things through God's eyes, if I can begin to see me and my life through God's eyes, what will that do to the way I act and react and feel and think about the life and circumstances around me? It changes, it literally changes everything for us to fully realize that we are in Christ. You may remember it at the end of lesson six, we passed out this thing about standing in state. What's our standing like before God? If you're a believer, then your standing before God is perfect. That's what we studied. Our standing before God is absolutely perfect. Why? Because he sees us in Christ. When he looks at May, he sees May through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and he sees May Beasley as perfect. Perfect. Then we take a look at our state. <laughs> I was like that. State of the Union address, and it's not always perfect. But the way God wants us to see ourselves is the way He sees us. See? And and we we have this thing where we want to really want to complain about the fact that life gets tough, that uh, somebody's turned up the heat. But 
well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I'll go ahead and jump there. If, <clears throat> if we think that God, our relationship with God is such that He exists to do us favors, that His whole existence, His whole idea behind loving us and seeing us as perfect is to give us everything that we think that we want. If we think that God exists to make me happy, if I think God exists to make me happy, then I'm going to miss the fact that He wants to make me holy. And making us all we've talked about... Um, refining silver and turning up the fire and the impurities come to the top and you take off the dross and eventually the, the, the what's the word I'm looking for the one, the one doing the, the refining the refiner when he looks into that pot of silver and is able to see himself then he turn out the fire the cooking's done when Christ is able to look at you and me and see himself, then the cooking's done. But we need to be able to see that as he sees it. That God doesn't see it. He's punishing you. He's refining you. So when the fires and the trials and so forth come, this idea of the fact that, that God sees us as in Jesus, that we're accepted and loved in Jesus, and God sees us in Jesus, then we learn that He's also seeing our trials and tribulations as something that He's allowing not to punish us, but to purify us, to make us holy. So that then we begin to see things more through the eyes of God, even in our suffering. Um, <laughs> You know, what I think is going to make me happy and what I think God should give me, it, when he doesn't answer that and his goal is to make us holy, that really produces the most joy. Like, long term, it, it ultimately does. We think we want, you know, this thing or that thing or this relationship to be this way or whatever, and we're so focused on the thing. And then when God is actually working this out and refining us and making us holier, making us like him, it produces a joy that's just unexplainable. Like it just, you know, it doesn't make sense. And that's the beauty of it. Man, I think so much alike, because I was thinking the exact same thing, but I was thinking, um, you know, God wanting to make us holy. We think there's all kinds of things that will make us happy, but that's the one thing that would, would make us happier than anything else. We just don't always realize that. And amen. Amen to and both God of us. God loves us too much to, to give us the thing that, that really isn't going to satisfy, you know? Yeah. You guys are preaching my difference between what we'll call as humans happiness and real joy 
that, and, and that's kind of the whole reason why I wrote this course the way that I did and this particular lesson the way that I did is because I want to be able to reach the people and, and of course they're among us you <laughs> all of us suffer from these things about feeling unloved or feeling un, uh, rejected are feeling like things are not going my way because something's wrong with me. And those are human feelings that the Bible, God's Word, wants to try to correct for us that we don't need every little thing that we think will make us happy. What really will make us happy is the joy that wells up within us when we know that we're right with God. What difference does it make if I don't have a new car if I'm right with God? Amen. Uh, that's that's kind of the whole crux of this thing. I want to switch gears a little bit as we turn the chapter, and I want to talk some about this love thing and about what love is and what love isn't. Uh, we need we need to kind of ponder this a little bit. And I'll read again. Every person not only needs to be accepted, but he also needs to be loved. But here again, we find a word that can have two very different kinds of meaning. There is a kind of love which does not meet our deep inner personal need. This kind of love is called conditional love because it is given when certain conditions are met. Some examples. I will love you if you are good. I will love you if you make me proud of you. I will love you if you do what I want you to do. I will love you if you live up to my expectations of you. I will love you if you love me as I define love. And how would you ever know what that is for another person? You can't. You, yeah, that's exactly right. You can't know what how good you need to be. You can't know how proud they need to be of you. Or what's gonna because you're proud. never going to be able to quite match up. But one. God spells it out in His Word, what He wants from us. I, I, what I'm about to share an area I want to present now is one that I actually know of that happened not very long ago with some people that I happen to know. A little wife is all upset with her husband. I won't tell you the circumstances, not necessary, but, but it, it kind of boiled down to this. He didn't live up to her expectations. She wanted him to do something specific at a specific time and in a specific way, and he didn't do it. She was just destroyed by this. I mean, she was just crushed. Now, I don't... I didn't, and I don't know how, and one of these days maybe God will open a door that I might be able to have a conversation with her. I wanted to then, but I didn't. For her to kind of see what we want to take a look at here. See, we're not only supposed to be able to be in a position where we receive unconditional love. The love that we give, if it's going to be true love, it's unconditional why? Because it's me, it's my love that I'm giving. If I put conditions on it, then it is not true love. It's not godly love. It has to be unconditional for it to be the love that God introduces us to. It has to be unconditional if it's God's love. 
Here's, here's where, let me, let me read on because we get to an important place here. Um, the next paragraph. What we need is to be loved unconditionally. What we desperately need is someone who loves us when we fail and when we make mistakes, even big mistakes. We need someone whose love does not change. If you will stop to really ponder this incredibly true statement, you will come to this conclusion. Only God can give this kind of love. There's a real big plus factor here. And that is, is if we've been reunited with God, if we've been reconciled to God, we have a big plus factor because we have the opportunity to be able to experience real love. The world, guys, is full. Our whole world is full of people who have never experienced this. They don't know what unconditional love is. And you know, you can take it, let's say, even to a mother's love. How much does a mother love her children? It's as close to a humanly unconditional as you can get. But let's talk about the way that a person experiences it. From my personal life, I was so close to my mother. And one of the reasons why mother had drawn me close is because she knew that there would come a day when she would leave my father. And I was 17 years old when that happened. Only she didn't just go to my sister's house and they had a thing where daddy would go up there and they'd settle things. She disappeared. We didn't find her for 17 years. I took that personally. See, uh, while maybe in her heart she did love me unconditionally, the way I took it was she must not have loved me as much as she said she did or she wouldn't have went away. Took it personally. And we do. So the point is, is that only God, only God, can give us this unconditional love. But the plus factor is is that we can experience it. We can have it. We can hold it. We can know what it feels like. That gives us the opportunity to give it. And it also gives us the opportunity, let's say that this husband of the wife I talked about a second ago was uh, a good Bible scholar, good Christian man, knew God's Word, had a relationship with God, and knew what it was to be loved unconditionally. Rather than him and his wife having a big fight that might lead to divorce, he could just wrap his arms around her and love her and understand her and maybe lead her to an understanding of what it's like to have unconditional love instead of conditional love and because he would have experienced it. But if he hasn't experienced it, then their marriage is in trouble, isn't it? Simply because he didn't live up to her expectations of what she thought love ought to be. Down at the bottom, how do we experience God's love? God loves us. The Bible plainly declares this great fact. But we need to experience his love in order that our deep inner needs might be met. Paul prayed that the Ephesians might know in their experience the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. 
Let us consider some ways in which we can experience God's love. We experience His love when we love Him. There's some really good stuff here. Let's turn in our Bible. Get your Bible and turn to Psalm Psalm 91. I'll share something with you as we turn there. Psalm 91 is a prophetic psalm. As you read the whole thing, you'll realize there's a lot of verses here that you've heard before uh, talking about Jesus. But the whole of the whole of uh, 91 is not prophetic. There's a great deal of it that applies to us as persons. Uh, as a matter of fact, in my New King James version, uh, it it announces the the uh, the chapter as the secret place of security. So it's talking about, and it talks about here. Um, you won't dash your foot against a stone, and so forth. And we know that it's talking about Jesus in much of this essence. But let's look at verses 14, 15, and 16. <clears throat> this is God talking. And let's keep in mind for a minute that He's talking about you. Okay? So when, he's, when God says He, He's talking about Robin or Pete or May or, or, or Pastor Rob. He says, because He, because you, have set your love upon God, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set Him on high because He has known my name. See, that's capitalized there. This is God's speaking. God is saying to us, if you love me, then listen to what He said. If you call upon me, I will answer I will be with you in trouble. I'm paraphrasing. I will deliver you and honor you with long life. I will satisfy you. I will show you my salvation. Um, yeah, that's paraphrased. But if you if you look at the beginning verses there, at what God is saying is that if you love Him, what have we studied throughout this whole course? We've studied the fact that God loves us And the reason that He created us was for love. What what other possible reason with all of the trouble that God has had with mankind, what other possible reason could God have had in mind when He made us other than to have us as being recipients of His love and that He would receive that love in return? That's why we praise Him and worship Him. We're, we're, we're showing God our love. We're saying that we love God. And here He's saying to us that that's what He wants. God's not looking for us to go out here and perform some kind of miracle, sir. I just got a letter yesterday. You've, some of you have heard me talk about George. You visited with the little George one time. a little wonderful little man that's lived his whole life incarcerated. Ran off from a, from a, a foster home when he was seven or eight years old and to this day, 60 years old now. And he has never lived in a home. He's lived in, on the streets or in reform schools or jails or prisons his whole life. He has never lived in a home. And I... 
and I, we, he's been through this course more than once. He stayed with me over into a second time into this course before he finally got sent off into prison. And so he's been exposed to these lessons, and he writes to me. <laughs> he writes to me all the time. I get two or three letters at a time from him. He writes almost daily. So he's... He's heard me say that God's love is unconditional. He knows this. And the reason I want to point this out to you is because sometimes no matter how much we know in our head, it hasn't quite sunk down into our heart. He's telling me that in this prison where he is, that uh, there's not many guys going to church at the chapel on this prison compound. And... um, and the reason is there's gangs out there that are trying to prevent guys from going to prison. And he doesn't think that the chaplain knows it. So he's made an appointment with the chaplain. He's going one day this week. He's going to go talk to the chaplain. <clears throat> and he's going to try to get the chaplain to get the prison to do something about this. Well, what he said in this letter to me, he says, maybe I'm going to do something that God will be proud of. Well, can I say that there's anything wrong with him thinking that way? Maybe just a little. Maybe just a little. He needs to know that God loves him just the way he is. He doesn't have to go do something to make God proud of him. God's proud of him because of who he is and what he believes. He's proud of him because he's making progress in loving God. So, it's okay for him to do what he wants to do as a good thing. Well, it ought to be about doing good things. We ought to be doing good things because we think that it's going to earn some kind of attention or special blessing from God. We already have that. And that's what's important for us to know. What's vitally important for us to have deep in our soul is the fact that God already loves us. He accepts us. We're so deeply loved, just as we are, that it gives us this sense of security. And that will change everything we do. It'll change everything we think. It causes us to then walk in the knowledge that I'm a child of God. And we've used this phrase in here before too, and that is, yeah, okay, if you're a child of God, you kind of got an obligation to act like it. So there, there is the thing about good behavior. Matter of fact, we'll get into it here in just a minute. Let me look at the time. I'm making sure we're okay. We're okay. Um, that clock is sometimes hard to read. Uh, but uh, where was I? I lost myself. Y'all find me? I lost myself. <laughs> let's uh, let's turn the page. Page three here, because that's where I was fixing to go. Is talking about obeying. Love and obedience go together. It'd be a great thing if a lot of parents taught their children that. 
I think I, ma- I mentioned last week that I, I also happen to know a young family, which y'all don't know. Um, it's not related here. But I know a young family that has young children. The biggest one's about this size and down. You can't hardly stand about around these people. Those children are so unruly, they are just monsters. And these people think that they're doing a good thing because they don't discipline their children. I'll tell you, I've seen a couple of times when the oldest child's a boy, I'd wear his butt out. Because he... (laughs) (laughs) Well, they need to know, and we need to know, that if we love God... One of the ways that we show our love for God is through obedience. We're called to be obedient. We, we've talked at great lengths about the idea that, that the, the children of Adam that are still in the family of Adam that are in Adam and not in Christ are the children of disobedience. They're the children of rebellion. And what happens when we become a child of God? We stop saying, don't tell me what to do. And start saying, God, show me what to do. God, lead my paths. I want to be a child of God. So being a child of God, showing God that we understand our relationship with Him, then certainly is going to involve obedience. God wears us out when we need it. You bet you He does. You bet you He does. And you know, that's what we talked about in here a couple of weeks ago about chastisement. And, and the chore that I have as a teacher is in showing that God is not punishing us, but He certainly will chastise us as for our own good. The punishment, and we talked about this extensively, Brother Robin, thank you. The punishment for our sins was put on Christ. I call it double imputation. Um, It's an exchange. Our sins were put on Him in in exchange or as another part of that double imputation is that His righteousness then is put on us and that then forms our standing before God. That's why God sees us as perfect when we know we're really not. But then He's working toward perfecting that perfection and bringing us into the image of Christ. Love and obedience go together. It is to those who love and obey the Lord that He manifests His love. Jesus said, He that has my commandments and keeps them, it is he that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John 14, 21. Praise God. We experience God's love in the local church. And let's talk about that some. Here we are. Um. I, I love this church. What happens when you walk in the door of this church? Can you make it from the front door to where you're going to sit down without getting hugged? Probably not. Uh, so what are we experiencing there? You know, what are we experiencing? We're, we're experiencing being loved and accepted. Um, are there churches that don't do that? Uh, yeah, I think so. One of the things that we've been talking about in New Leaf Ministries and wanting to be able to, to work with families of incarcerated people is so that when, we're, when we can and what we're praying for and hoping for is we can put the parents and the new Christian inmate on the same page. Yeah. 
so that they're walking the same walk. And so when this person comes out of prison, he's coming home to a family that's now walking with the Lord. One of the things that's really, really important, we need to get this person as they come out of jail and prison, we need to get them almost immediately in church. And what's my idea of getting them in church? It's get them into a church where they're loved and accepted. I have to be careful because there are some churches that are not going to accept them because of where they've been, because of what they might have done. It's amazing to me how many people, although God's Word teaches us not to be judgmental, how many churches are judgmental. You know? Um, that, oh, I wouldn't do what you did. <laughs> yeah, but he wouldn't do what you did either. So, <laughs> so this, this idea of church being a place where we're loved, there's a multitude of things that can be said here. Pastor Rob could preach on this subject for a long time about how the church shows love. But part of it is is that we come into a place and experience God's love and acceptance. If I can feel accepted by you, even though I have a really dark past, then I'm experiencing God's love. I'm experiencing God's acceptance. I'm experiencing it through you. And, and, and I think we ought not to ever lose sight of that either. And the fact that when I do this, I don't know what this thing's all about. I do this when I see somebody in church that I think's hurting. As a matter of fact, may I point to you? This little lady was having a situation here a few weeks ago because of some things that I'd set up here that kind of hurt her heart. I couldn't stand seeing her sit there by herself. I went I went and sat down by her and we talked and prayed together. We need to be able to show love. We need to be able, if we're experiencing this fact that we have a secure environment, we're, we're a secure person as opposed to a very insecure person. We're a secure person because we experience God's love and acceptance. And we need to share that. When you see somebody hurting, you need maybe you don't have magic words. You may not be a counselor. You may not be trained. It doesn't make any difference. Just go put your arm around them. Just let them know. I mean, I mean, even if you didn't do any more than that, how much love does that portray that somebody just comes and puts their arm around you? You're accepted. That's what they're saying. They're saying you're accepted. So it's showing God's love through the church. Last section, I barely got time to get through it. We must believe in God's love. Because of the effects of sin in our life, we sometimes find it hard to believe that God really loves us. And Satan likes to confuse us and make us doubt God's love. He especially likes to torment us when we fail God in some way. Catch this next sentence. He wants us to think God doesn't love us anymore. The truth is that God knew all about us when He saved us. He has seen us at our very worst. He knows all the little things that we try so desperately to hide from other people. 
Yet God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We'll close by this. I've got five minutes. I want to do this. Let's let's turn to Romans chapter eight, verses thirty-eight, thirty-nine. To me, these are some of the most profound verses. I love this section of God's Word. It makes me really love Brother Paul. What what a man Paul was. Um, There's a lot being said here. The context is great. Paul is speaking. I'll start with verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of knowledge that can change your life. If you know that, saying that no matter what's happening, it's basically what Paul is saying here. He's saying that there's nothing, there is nothing that can happen. There's no power out there that can change it. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That's big stuff. That's big stuff. That's the kind of thing that makes a person be able to live and move through their troubles in their life without seeing it as trouble. It's not not much trouble. Let me tell you, I don't need to be concerned about whether somebody likes me or accepts me. Yes, there's some things. Now maybe, if, maybe if somebody don't like me, maybe there's something about me I need to change. But it shouldn't shake me to my core. Because what's at my core is this, that I know that even my own bad behavior is not going to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. So, question. Should a Christian feel insecure? No. Not much reason to, is there? And yet we all struggle with it some. So the idea here, the whole idea behind trying to teach this, preach this over and over again is because we kind of need to hear it over and over again. Yes, dear? I know we got two minutes, but um, I have a question. Um, Could you share with the class what you told me about... um, you said the root cause of a lot of people's problems, I guess concerning themselves, is either um, inadequacy or what was the other thing you said? Okay. That's, you that's, know yes, about? I do. And that's where we've been in these last two lessons. Right. Um, is, is the whole idea of, of, of feeling like you have a purpose and that you're adequate to meet that purpose. Well, insecurity. And insecurity is where we are today. And so, if we're in God's Word, if we if we understand our standing before God, and that's vitally important. If we don't, 
and turn back in your books to Lesson 6 and the little edition that's on Lesson 6 about our standing and our state. Be sure that we understand what our standing is. And there's a little thing that I've got down there at, at the, the, the bottom of that page that says faith in our standing will make it real in our life. Repeat, repeat that. See. Our standing before God is perfect. And here we've got Satan and a fallen world and everything all around us that comes and wants to beat us up trying to tell us that's not true. Look at you. You fumble and fail and every day. And you think that God still loves you? You think that God has a purpose for your life? Do you think you're adequate to do anything at all? You couldn't even do what it was you had before you yesterday. And that's the way Satan attacks us. And so this idea of knowing that God emphatically loves us completely and purely and without reservation, without condition, God loves us and accepts us and has a purpose for our life and makes us adequate to make that purpose, then faith in that standing makes us move up to it. We begin to be more and more like Christ because we have faith in the fact that we are perfect before God and if God sees me as perfect, guess what? I can walk pretty tall. And and when things come along, I have a lot more of a tendency to say, no, I ain't doing that. Or no, I ain't believing that. Because of the standing that I have before God. And that's going along with, you know, and it's just not you or you or you or anybody else. We all have this. You're not different than any of the rest of us. We all have pain. We all have adverse conditions going on in our life. Oh, my goodness. I, I know of a young woman. I'm out of time. But I know of a young woman that's just had the most horrible things happen to her in the last 10 years. It's just like almost unimaginable. How can so many people be so cruel to one individual? But God loves her. And God's going to pull her out of this. And one of these days, she's going to see herself as God sees her. See, one of these days, she's going to know that she's, she's okay because Almighty God is on her side and loves her just like she is. And then one day, she'll come to a place where she prays for all these people that have mistreated her all this time. So I need to close. But guys, we need to know this. Faith in your standing will make it real in your life. And that's the whole point.